This is recording number 10913 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 20, 2011. This is the fifth message in the series titled, The Doctor's Gospel, by Randy Bolt. This message is titled, Messiah's Mission. Luke chapter 4. We're going to continue our study of the, this book that we're calling the, Go- the Doctor's Gospel because Luke was a physician and writing from that methodical, uh, intellectual, um, detailed, detail-oriented uh, point of view. And that tells us something about uh, the, the, the way or the approach that he brought to his task of setting in an orderly fashion uh, those things about the life and ministry of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at verses 16 to 21 of chapter 4 of this book about the um, Messiah's mission. Let's begin reading in verse 16. Follow along with me. So he came to Nazareth, the he here is Jesus, he came to Nazareth, which was his hometown, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And before I go ahead and read what he read on that day... Let me just make sure that we're, we're uh, all together. We left off last week uh, with Jesus having endured 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. And we saw how not only, uh, that really was the wrong word, he didn't endure a temptation, he triumphed over temptation. And we saw that in his uh, example, he was providing for us the ways that we can deal with uh, victoriously the temptations that come our way. And then it says that uh, he returned, verse 14 tells us he returned from that uh, period of temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit and he went um, to Galilee and uh, the news about him was spreading. And then we picked it up today as he was returned to his hometown in Nazareth and he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he's invited to read out of the the prophetic book of Isaiah. This is part of the Old Testament scriptures. And he turns to uh, Isaiah chapter 61. And I'm going to just also, um, I won't take a lot of time with this, but I am going to, in a few minutes, just give you a little bit of um, textual, a little information about textual criticism. Um, because what I'm going to read now in the translation I'm reading from, which is the New King James, may not track exactly with, in fact, likely it will not track with what you have. There's a clause, there's actually five clauses here that describe the ministry of Messiah that Jesus reads. You're going in most of the, uh, if, if you're not using the New King James this morning, and there's nothing wrong with that, I read all kinds and use all kinds of translations, but if you're not using the New King James, you're going to only see four of those clauses. I'll explain why in just a minute. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to 
Here are the five things. Preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Then verse 19 says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he was talking in that, uh, as he um, reads that part of it, he's describing everything that's gone before. He's talking about the time of Messiah's rule, the time of Messiah's coming, the time of Messiah's activity in this earth. And, and that is described as the acceptable year of the Lord. But he has detailed for us prior to making that statement, the five things that make up the acceptable year of the Lord, what the Lord is doing in the earth, the Messiah's mission. Now, let me, before we go further, let's, or let me, before I give you the explanation, I told you I would, let's finish this off by reading verses 20 and 21. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And uh, if you wanted to, you could go on and read the, the way that the people reacted and responded to him. But he was saying to them, in no uncertain terms, these things that you all know. Because he was reading from a very familiar passage. And he was saying, these things that you all know about the ministry, the mission of Messiah. Today, right now. They are fulfilled. And they knew he was saying that he was the fulfillment of these things. He was the Messiah. He was making a very clear declaration of who he was. But he's also telling us, showing us what his mission was, his ministry. Now let me just give you this little textual criticism thing. <laughs> I, I really, I hate the fact that I have to, to, uh, to do this now. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I just have other things I want to accomplish in the short time that we have. But I don't want anyone to be confused either. So let me just get this out there, at least in part. And hopefully it won't cause additional confusion, but maybe answer some questions. So we do not have any of the original autographed versions of any of the 66 books in the Bible. So when, when Luke wrote his gospel... There was his manuscript, right? That does not exist today. What we have is over 5,000 ancient... I mean, this is just of the New Testament only. We have over 5,000 uh, handwritten copies of the manuscripts that make up the New Testament in, in various either parts or in whole. When scholars get together to uh, translate... Because these, these documents, the original documents, were written in, in um, Greek for the most part. When they get together to trans, make a translation of the Bible into any language of, of the, oh, the world today, any modern language, either English, um, Mandarin, uh, you name it, they first of all have to, just have to have a Greek text that they work from. And over the years there's come to be um, basically two of those uh, Greek texts that are, are the compilation of all these 5,000 plus manuscripts that are described and they, they collect them, they assemble them and, 
into a Greek text from which they make the translations. And there's basically two of them. The King James, and then again, the New King James versions of the English versions of the Bible use a text uh, called the Textus Receptus. Most other English translations use another text, and they vary only slightly. This is one of the places where they vary. And so probably the version that you have before you, that is, if it's not the New King James or King James uh, version, leaves out the healing the brokenhearted. And, but I can tell you with absolute confidence that it belongs in there because the passage Jesus was quoting from, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, has it in there. So, when just I wanted to try to avoid the confusion there, but... We have before us five things that Jesus said he was here to do. To preach the gospel, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those that are oppressed. And for the few minutes that we have remaining this morning, I want to talk to you about those things. First of all, he came to preach the gospel to the poor. Preach the gospel to the poor. Good news to the poor. Every single one of us, regardless of what your bank account says, every single one of us, before having come to Christ, were poor. We were in debt to our God and Maker. We owed a debt of sin that none of us could repay. There isn't enough good works any of us could ever do to cover our indebtedness before God. Jesus said, number one, I'm here. I'm here. This scripture is fulfilled today. I am here to tell you I've come to pay that debt. I have come to pay that debt. And the great thing is, he doesn't come just to pay the debt but to erase the record of the debt. So many believers spend their relationship with God feeling ashamed of their past. And yes, most of us in this room would say, our past is shameful. I mean, now that we know the forgiveness of God and what the holiness of God is like, I mean, it's just we don't even want to think about what has gone before. Am I right? But you know what? Our God in heaven says that he has, he has decided to forget. He has decided. Don't ask me how. But God is able to do anything he wants to do. And he has chosen to forget our debt. Not just pay for it and then make us pay. <laughs> you know? You ever had somebody do something nice for you and then just make you pay for the rest of your life? That's not God. He has paid the debt in person. He took our penalty for us. That's what the cross is. And then forgot that we ever owed him anything to begin with. So that when I stand before him today, I am not only forgiven, I am forgiven. 
But it's as though. The word justified that the Bible uses, it says we were justified, that word. My Sunday school teacher when I was five years old taught me that means just as if I'd never sinned. And when I stand before God today, there is no history, there is no record of my indebtedness. I am a child of God and so are you if you've come to Christ in faith receiving this offer of his forgiveness. Isn't that good? Jesus said on that day in the synagogue, he said, this day, this one right here, this promise that you've been waiting for is fulfilled in me. I've come to declare the good news to the poor. And then he went on to say, I've come to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the brokenhearted. And really, dear ones, that means to restore what was lost because to heal something or to bind up is the original word there. To bind up the brokenhearted, to heal something is not just to comfort someone who is brokenhearted. I mean, that's a good thing, right? You, I have been involved with people this week comforting brokenhearted people. You have too because there's all around us, there's, there's, there's heartache, is there not? And so we are often in this role of comforting one another. And that's a good thing. But Jesus said, I've not just come to comfort, to give you some way to sort of bear up under your burden, to, to somehow make it along through this tragic life. I, I've come to heal. I've come to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the brokenhearted, not just to... Um, to cover it or to uh, bring comfort. And what that means, dear one, is he's come to restore. Healing, when you're sick, like I kind of am right now, when, when you are well, there's been restoration. There's been recovery. And whatever we drag into our relationship with Jesus of the brokenness from our past... This is the intention of Messiah. This is his mission. This is his power to recover, to restore. I sat with two people this week um, praying with them because they are dealing with some of the fallout of their past life's brokenness. But what a privilege it is for me to be able to say to them in those times, and and we've all had them, but what a privilege it is for me to say to them, yeah, there are consequences for our sin. There is a reaping of what we've sown, but there's also a healing. And I could look them in the eye and say, Jesus said, today, this one right here, this is fulfilled in your hearing. I've come to bind up, to heal the brokenhearted and in ways that are incomprehensible to me. In fact, just at the break, someone was telling me a story about how God is at work healing something from their past so devastating, so hurtful, so so horrific that you could never imagine how anything could be healed out of that. But God is able. Jesus is here to heal. 
to heal the brokenhearted. Whatever you um, may have dragged in to your, your relationship with Jesus Christ, place it in his hands and watch him heal. Watch him restore. Watch him bring what no, no one could ever deserve into being because he is that powerful. The third thing he said was to proclaim liberty to the captives. And he was talking about unlocking the shackles. Um, when it uses the word captive, that's like a POW, a prisoner of war. And a, per, a prisoner of war not only is, you know, um, perhaps chained or shackled or put into some sort of compound or prison or whatever so that they can't, um, you know, be where they want to be, but prisoners of war are most often, uh, the, the goal with prisoners of war is to reduce them to something less than they were. To take from them every sense of who they are. And dear one, that's what sin does to us. So that we, the, the point of the, the devil's desire in, in uh, keeping you in patterns of sin and iniquity is so that you will not be the one that Jesus meant you to be. To derail God's plans for your life. But Jesus stood up in that synagogue, that little synagogue in Nazareth. And who would have expected? I mean, this little town on the other side of the tracks. I mean, because Nazareth was kind of Hicksville in those days. Jesus, this son of a carpenter, stood up, read from the book of Isaiah this promise that every Jewish person knew about the coming of Messiah and the things that he would accomplish. And he, one of the things that he reminded them was that Messiah would come to set us free to be everything God intended us to be. Then he closed the book and said, and today is that day. Dear one, any way that you have come to believe that you are, you can't be the person God intended you to be for whatever reason. I mean, you know, all of us have this sense in our hearts that, that we were designed for more, <laughs> for transcendent. But a lot of us have this sense that, yeah, maybe that's what I was designed for, but I can't get there. Jesus said, I've come, I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then he says, I've come to declare or proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Recovery of sight to the blind. Let me ask you a question, and, and maybe I'm the only one for whom this is true, but how many of you, the first time you saw that little logo with the cross and the stylized C and R that surrounds it, how many of you didn't recognize what it was? Anybody else? First looked at it and you thought, ah, okay. I'm not alone. All right. There were a few of us we looked at and we thought, oh, a cross and then some squigglies. <laughs> But then you figure it out, oh, that's a C and an R. And then you can never see it the other way ever again, right? It's like, it's one of those things where, you know, um, 
sometimes they they have those those pictures that are made up of little tiny pictures you know and when you look up close up all you see is the little tiny pictures of and then you back off and you see that oh there's something else well then from then on you never see just the little pictures anymore you see the whole thing right there is something about uh, life apart from Jesus that's sort of like that. It's, kind of, it's a kind of darkness where we don't really see things as they are. But just like this morning when uh, Arnie came into this room as he was here first and flipped on the lights in this dark room, there was no more darkness. You turn on the lights, boom, it's gone. It's gone. It's not like there's a tug of war between the darkness and the light. I mean, the light wins every single time. Jesus said, I've come to lift the darkness. And dear one, there's no conflict, no struggle about that because he is the light of the world. And every place that we invite the light of the world to come, darkness flees. Every situation, every circumstance we invite the light of Jesus Christ into, darkness flees. And it's, you know, another way that, that this shows up is that in this book or the, you know, the Bible that you are looking at right now. I've had so many people, t- you know, who before they, they have come to Christ, they will say, you know, I've tried to read this thing. And it's like a foreign language. I do not get this at all. And then you come to faith in Christ and it's like... But it changes the very nature. It's like you see things for the first time. It's like, well, how come I didn't see that before? Well, because you were in darkness before. But Jesus said, today, this one right now, I'm coming to turn the lights on. I'm here to turn the lights on. And if you feel like there's some, some area of darkness in your life or in the life of anyone that you know or love or a circumstance that they're dealing with, Jesus is the light of the world. Welcome him in. And darkness will flee. Darkness will flee. Finally, he said, to set at liberty those that are, or those who are oppressed. And we've already talked about uh, something similar when Jesus said, I've come to um, set at liberty the captives or to free, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now he says, I've come to set at liberty those who are, are oppressed. And they sound almost synonymous or similar. What is the difference? Well, the difference here when he's talking about uh, the oppressed, in the, the Greek word that's translated oppressed here in your uh, New Testament is a word for crushed or downtrodden, pressed down. Um, in Isaiah chapter 61, where Jesus was quoting from here, in the, the Hebrew word that's used for oppressed is the word for bound or yoked. Now hang with me as I explain why I've got this picture here on the room with the uh, on the wall with the elephant in the room because most of us have an elephant in the room everybody else knows it but we carry on as though it's not there we pretend it's not there and yet it 
continues to press us down, to bind us, to yoke us. We are yoked. Yoke means that you're in, in a, a harness with something. You're harnessed with something. And we're all kind of just walking around as though, oh no, I'm not. Jesus said, I, I am here today, this day right now. I am here to set at liberty those who are in a yoke. I'm here to put an end to the elephant in the room. I'm here to free you from that which is sucking the oxygen out of your life. That keeps crowding you into a tighter and tighter quarters. It might be a habit. It might be a pattern of living. It might be a way of thinking. Sometimes people will say to, uh, to me, they'll say, you know, I just feel like I keep going around in circles. Sometimes they'll say, my life feels like a broken record. I just can't keep getting past this scratch. Sometimes they'll say, I feel stuck. All of those statements are talking about this. The elephant in the room. Jesus came. <laughs> To set at liberty to, uh, to bring freedom to those of us who are yoked, bound, pressed down by something that is not his intentions for us. You may have found yourself in one or more of those statements that Jesus made about his mission. And if so, in just a minute I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite the Lord to meet you today. In the same way, it's just, listen, it is just as though we are in that place today in Nazareth, that little synagogue. Jesus is as much st standing before us today as he was then. He is saying the same things now as he was then. This is what I'm here to do today, this day. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am here to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm here to declare that the debt has been paid, covered, eliminated. The record has been expunged. I am here today to declare that there is healing, not just comfort, healing for the brokenhearted. I'm here today to say that this one, this day right here, right now, those who have been taken captive, who feel as though they are, that their life could never be what it was intended to be, I'm here to say to you, all of that is a lie. I am here to unlock the shackles. He said, I am here to declare the recovery of sight to the blind. Every place where darkness has encroached upon your life, I am here to say, I am the light of the world and I am lifting the darkness. Any of you who are here today who feel as though you are pressed, crushed, yoked, if there's an elephant in the room that you can't see and to escape from, I'm here today to proclaim liberty to you. This is the day of liberty. Jesus is here right now in the same way that he was in that synagogue in Nazareth to declare the same thing. And I'm going to pray for you about that in a minute. But before we do that, there's one more thing. The scripture that Jesus was reading from Isaiah was written 700 years before that day in Nazareth when Jesus read it. 700 years before. 
700 years before, God was moving through a man named Isaiah to declare the mission of the Messiah. Do you know that you and I, as followers of Christ, we have a mission as well that has been prophesied? Psalm 139 says, when you, are in your, when you were embryonic, when you were gestating in your mother's womb, before you ever saw the light of day, God was writing your mission. And I think most of us, we think, well, I am a mission. <laughs> you know, I don't have one. I am a mission. But that's not true. Yeah, there's some stuff that Jesus needs to do in our life. Things that he has already declared he will do and is in the process of doing. But it is for the purpose of you being free to fulfill your mission. And you want to know what that was? I can tell you. People ask me all the time, oh, if I could just, or say to me all the time, oh, if I could just know what God wants from me. <laughs> I know what he wants from you. It's this. It's the same one. Because Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. Dear ones, you and I have been called to preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are, pre- who are oppressed. That's our mission. God, free us to do that. Amen? God, free us to do that.